You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 60 of a Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living a life in ruins. I'm your host, Carlton Gover, and I'm joined by my co-host, Connor Johnnan and David Howe. In this episode, we are chatting with Dr. Umberto Alberello and Helen Thompson about the recent developments surrounding the Sheffield Archaeology Department. Umberto, Helen, thank you so much for joining us. How are each of you doing this evening? I'm doing really well, thanks. Thanks for having us on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's fine, and uh, it's great to be here and talking to you. So thanks very much. Yeah, it's good to have you guys. Nice meeting you too, by the way. I didn't really say much in the the pre-interview there, but yeah. So I guess we got a lot to get into today. Carlton, Connor, do you guys want to take that? Yeah, let's real quick, just for our audience to know who the two of you are. um, Umberto, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, Just know your name, your professional positions, and what you're currently researching in archaeology. Yeah, my name is uh, Umberto Albarella. I'm a professor of archaeology at the University of Sheffield. I just like everybody, my students and all the people I know, just call me Umberto. That's, That's the best. And what I do, I'm an archaeologist, but my specific area of specialization is the study of animal remains from archaeological sites. So I study how humans and animals interacted in the past. Awesome. Do you study a specific area or a time yeah, period? Yeah, well, I have a number. I, I always say that I work on research themes rather than on specific periods. But my geographic area is mainly Europe, but some of the big themes I have investigated and I still investigate are, for instance, the origins of domestication. And in particular, I'm interested in the spread of the domestic or animal domestication into Europe. I'm also very interested in the ritual use of animals, and it's something I have investigated for both the late prehistory and for the classical periods. And some other projects I have had, uh, I have been involved with, uh, concerned, for instance, the use of animals in Roman times, how the Romans changed the way domestic animals were used. And I also work a lot in the Middle Ages. So I have lots of projects and lots of students working with me. So that allows me to cover a lot of ground. Cool. And I'm glad you mentioned that you work on themes more so than areas, because that's kind of hard to get like around people's heads sometimes. Like it, it's more of like the idea of something than specifically yeah. I do medieval Scotland. You yeah. Know? And how, how long have you been teaching at Sheffield for? I have worked in Sheffield and teaching uh, since 2004, but my teaching experience goes back uh, longer than that. So I was before in Durham and Birmingham, but I started teaching in Italy in the early 90s, in 1991. So I have a lot of teaching experience. <laughs> Do you know um, Dr. Eric Robinson? Oh, yes. We know Eric well. <laughs> he was he was our postdoc at the University of yeah. Wyoming. Yeah, of course. Eric was our PhD student. I'm very fond of him. He's, we haven't seen each other for many years, but we are still very good friends. And when he was in Sheffield, we had a really great time. I arrived in Sheffield when I think he was in the first year of his PhD. So we, we were good friends. Excellent. And how about you, Helen? What are you doing at the University of Sheffield? So yeah, my name is Helen Thompson. I'm a PhD student. So I'm just about eight months into my PhD now. So still feeling pretty new, pretty fresh. And I'm studying ceramics mostly. Well, specifically, I'm looking at ceramics in Argentina and Chile. And I'm doing all colonial era stuff. So I'm looking to see if there was a transfer of technology between indigenous and colonial materials. Um, so I'm doing a range of ceramic photography and chem- chemical analysis. That's kind of the gist of it. I'm looking at imports and then locally made colonial wares and then indigenous pottery. And I've got at least one site where the Spanish occupied it for 90 years and then left. And there's some evidence that the indigenous population went back to their traditional methods. And that's what I'm really interested in emphasizing. If, if there's a trend there, I think that says a lot about well, colonialism, but also how humans react to technology and innovation. So That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier, you had said two words about ceramics. One of them I knew, the other one I didn't. Can't remember what it was. Was it ceramic photography? That is it. Could you (laughs) elaborate on that for the audience? Yeah, 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 definitely. It's actually something we do at Sheffield really well. And it's one of the things I would be really sad to lose if things go poorly with the department. Basically, it's 
kind of examining the minerals and the rocks in the ceramics themselves and looking at provenance and forming methods under the microscope. So I spent a lot of my time cutting ceramics up and turning them into thin sections and then looking at them under the microscope to kind of put them into groups, see what's made from the same materials, all that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. Absolutely. I guess I had one more question. You don't sound as if you are from Sheffield. Um, (laughs) I'm not, no. (laughs) Are you from the States? Are you from Canada? I'm from Canada. I'm from Vancouver. Yeah. Okay. West Coast. (laughs) And I I guess I bring that up because I I do want the audience to know, like, it is pretty common for students here to go overseas to do their PhDs as well. Yeah. Um, That is an option. Yeah. I went there because the programs were better than what I could do in Canada. And the department at Sheffield was better than what I thought I could do in Canada. Well, I guess not good for Canada, but I mean, good, 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 good for them. But yeah, anyway, let's continue on. Is it hard working so far geographically from what you study? You know, I don't think it would have been, but COVID's made it difficult. I, I should be going to do field work hopefully next year. We'll see how that goes based on travel restrictions. It's It's been really easy being at Sheffield because my project connection is through the University of Barcelona. And their project, Technolonial, has a really strong working relationship with Sheffield. So they get access to the materials, and then I work in collaboration with them. So it hasn't been that difficult up until now. But I think, yeah, the whole pandemic thing has made it a little more challenging to be so far away from my study area. (laughs) Sure. And with that, kind of what we were talking about earlier, there's been a lot of news about Sheffield in the past month or so regarding whether or not the archaeology department at Sheffield is going to exist. Helen, could you kind of give us like a brief background on what's going on for those that might not be aware of what's happening? Yeah, about uh, two weeks ago now, it wasn't even that long ago, the executive board sent out an email to the staff and students saying that they were putting it to a vote, essentially, if they were going to either invest in the department, close the department completely, or move two of our master's programs into other departments and close the rest of the department. And for some people, it was quite a surprise what was going on. They, they had a review process with some students and staff, but they, it wasn't clear. It was never transparent. So it was quite a shock. And then they gave us about three working days to fight the decision before they put it to an actual vote, which wow. it did imply that they'd already made their decision. So yeah, so now we're at the point where they've, they've voted to move two master's programs into other departments and close everything else down. And that has to get ratified by the Senate on June 23rd. And then there's a council vote as well in July. So we're still in the fighting at stages because it's not official yet, but it's it's in the works. Yeah. Umberto, what was your like gut reaction on kind of receive? Did you like receive an email or, or something like that that ultimately told you what was going to happen? No, there was uh, a meeting that was organized by the pro vice chancellor, who is basically the person, the number two person in the university administration. And uh, she decided also to meet only selected uh, number of staff and then, and then some students afterwards. And during this meeting, it was in an hour meeting, which there was about 40 minutes of presentation of what they called the review they had done. And basically came to the conclusion that Helen was saying that basically they were just either thinking of closing the department or investing in it. And then there was about 15 minutes discussion about uh, the, <laughs> the possibility that we had to ask questions to raise points about uh, the existence of a department that uh, has been uh, kind of a center of excellence for more than 50 years. So that was a bit uh, disappointing, uh, to say the least. And then following that, then uh, there was uh, the discussion of the University Executive Board uh, that Helen mentioned that happened after five days. So they gave us five days to respond to this. And I have to say, our response was amazing. <laughs> I mean, in a in few days, we managed to put together a very successful petition and then there was a lot of reaction. But anyway, you may want to talk about this later. Yeah, but basically that was uh, the timeline. We were obviously all rather shocked, uh, but at the same time, we knew that uh, there had been uh, a long process of obstruction of our activities that was occur- occurring uh, in the central administration of the university. So there was surprise, but only up to a point. So what is the university's catalyst for shutting down 
the department? Like, what's their rationale behind this? You should ask them, <laughs> uh, I think, because it all looks totally irrational to us on many different levels. And my experience is when something looks irrational is because there is a hidden agenda, and I'm pretty sure this agenda is political. Then we are in the realm of speculations. But anyway, the, the sort of kind of reasons that they provide is that they say that there is a decline in the recruitment of archaeology students at the undergraduate level. That basically means that uh, the writing is on the wall for us. They don't use those words, but basically this is what they mean. And, uh, and the other thing that they have raised is that we haven't secured enough uh, research grants in the last few years, basically. Basically, in a nutshell, they say we are not bringing enough money to the university. But uh, these are the words. And uh, to be honest with you, I think behind the words, there is probably a hidden a hidden reality. And, and you had mentioned that the, there was kind of this hints at, at something like this happening. What kind of obstruction did you see and... Isn't that ultimately so they if they're going to obstruct you, you're going to miss out on grants, research, students and stuff like that. Isn't that so that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing? Yeah. Well, uh, first, uh, let me say that uh, there's been a gradual erosion of our activities that has been going on for a number of years. So just to give you an idea, when I started working in Sheffield in 2004, there were 29 members of teaching staff. At the moment, there are 11 Okay, so that gives you an idea of the kind of erosion we have been subjected to. The other thing is that uh, things uh, in the course of the years uh, in the university in general, they have become more and more centralized, leaving less and less freedom uh, for departments to try to find solutions to their own problems. And the decentralization has also led to the fact that many things that we were trying, they have been met with hostility or basically there's been a general lack of support, especially at the faculty level. So we have departments which are part of the faculty, but now our contention is with the central university too. So the faculty management certainly hasn't helped in the last, especially in the last three years. And uh, one of the strategies that uh, they seem to use is that, uh, for instance, uh, they employ people on very short-term contracts and paying them very little. So, for instance, if we have a dire need of something, a technical level, administrative level, teaching level, that uh, they would employ somebody for six months. And then when that contract expires, you have to write a new business case for having another six-month contract or something like that, or maybe a year if you're lucky. And uh, just to give you another example, you know, what is quite important to the life of the, the department that also makes free cells also more time for us to be more efficient is to have a, an efficient departmental manager uh, I think in the last couple of years, we have had something like 13 different departmental managers. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, some of them also because of the COVID situation. I haven't even met them. You know, they came and went so quickly. This is not a sustainable situation. Obviously, it seems that the university is so desperate to squeeze as much energy and work from us and invest so little money. And in all discussions that we have at the general university level, I have been on many committees and so on, it seems everything is driven by money and um, things like culture, education, respect, integrity, and you name it, they seem to have gone out of the window. That's not the kind of academic uh, environment I was aspiring to when I was younger. This is really a failure of uh, the, the the kind of university as a place of learning as it should be. So I think there is a more general issue, and then, of course, there are more specific issues to our department. But I think the general ethos 
in which this is happening is, is that kind of eaters. Um, control, power, money, this seems to be driving everything. Yeah, unfortunately, that seems to be the case with a lot of, a lot of the world. It might have been mentioned, but do you guys know how old the Sheffield department is? Like, has it been there for a few hundred years or is it just recently? I don't know. I don't remember the exact date of uh, when it started, but I remember that a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago, we celebrated our 50th year anniversary. So I think it should be okay. between 50 and 60 years old. But uh, one thing is, regardless of its age, I think uh, one thing that is important to consider is that, especially in its own set, the, the department uh, is immediately recognized as some kind of innovative department, both in terms of archaeological theory and with some very strong areas of expertise, like, for instance, the study of past environments or economies and bioarchaeology. These are areas in which the department has been and still is really world-leading. Yeah, and I, I think in the, the next segment, I think we're going to start off by talking about that and kind of highlighting some of these areas. So this is episode 60 of a Life in Ruins podcast. We have Dr. Umberta Abarea. Aber, no, no. Close. And uh, Helen Thompson. So we'll catch you in the second segment. Welcome back to episode 60 of a Life in Ruins podcast. This is segment two. And we're talking about the University of Sheffield department potential closure with a professor and a student that work at the, the university. We kind of teased in the last segment that we were going to talk about the, the kind of the accomplishments and the notoriety or the good notoriety of, of Sheffield. And Helen, you, you had mentioned that you did your master's degree there. What ultimately kind of drove you to the University of Sheffield? Yeah, so I discovered my interest for archaeology maybe third year of my undergrad. I didn't really know it was actually something I could pursue as a career. I went on one dig, loved it, went to one conference, and I was talking to different people about master's degrees and stuff. And I was really interested in doing materials and experimental archaeology and anything hands-on and practical. And I was at the SAAs in 2017, and I was actually going back and forth between the University of Exeter's booth and the University of Sheffield's booth and talking to different people and asking questions. And throughout the whole weekend, every academic I met and everyone I spoke to, if they asked me what I was doing next, everyone said, you have to go to Sheffield. And Sheffield's the place to be. Like The reputation kind of spoke for itself, really. So that was initially the reason that I chose to go. I also, one of the academics I met there, Dr. Peter Day, is now my PhD supervisor. So that kind of all, like the connections, the community of it, and the reputation all really stood out to me. And it was also one of the only places I could go to do experimental archaeology and actually do hands-on work with materials in the UK. So that was my main reason for doing my master's. And then during the master's, everything about the department was just, like I only applied to one PhD which felt a bit like a risk funding-wise and options-wise, but I only wanted to go to Sheffield because the department was such a great experience for me. Awesome. Yeah, and I think we've had, I think we mentioned in the the interim that uh, Dr. Eric Robinson also, uh, Aaron, we mentioned in the last segment that he went there, who's who's been on the podcast. I feel like we've had a couple others. And it's, yeah, this, this is a big university. This is not a small closure that we're really talking about um yeah not like some liberal arts school in the middle of kansas that no one's heard of (laughs) so in general um uh, umberto there sheffield's known as you mentioned for kind of environmental archaeology experimental archaeology and i assume zoo archaeology because you were there Yeah, well, maybe uh, I should tell you very briefly my experience of going to Sheffield because I started working in Sheffield in 2004. And to be honest with you, it was very strange for me to start in Sheffield. I'll tell you why. I always felt that the Sheffield was someone else's place. Why? Because I had started getting involved in archaeology in the 80s. And from the 80s to the time when I studied in Sheffield 2004, it seems wherever I went, I was I ended up collaborating and working with people who had studied in Sheffield, who had worked in Sheffield. It looked like Sheffield was everybody's place apart from me. And then when uh, the job opportunity came to Sheffield, it felt really, really strange 
there was a very strong perception I even had as a young student in Italy in, uh, in the 80s that actually Sheffield was a really active and dynamic place in the world of archaeology. But I have to be careful about what I say because I know that the university central administration is now trying to put it in this way that, uh, you know, we have a great history, but we don't have much of a present. <laughs> but I think this is uh, completely untrue. And going, uh, you know, un- uh, trying to answer your question about our areas of strength, I still think that, uh, for instance, the whole bioarchaeology area is very, very strong in Sheffield, both for the study, not only to archaeology. I mean, I... I I will say a word about archaeology in a second, but let me tell you first that also human bone studies have a massive, massive tradition and a very active research group currently in Sheffield and very successful master program and many PhD students. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously the area that Helen has mentioned, the petrography, basically the study of the thin sections of ceramic in order to understand the provenance and all that. That is very much a strength in Sheffield. Archaeobotany is another area which has, uh, which has also always been very strong. But maybe more in general, I think that there are two areas in which we are really, I still think that we are world leading. I mean, in terms of themes, the other area I didn't mention, I should have mentioned, is landscape archaeology, which is very strong. But I think in Sheffield that there are two peculiarities about our approach that many students like. One is that we don't look at theory and practice as separate, okay? So we like to embed theory. So we like to be very practical because it is what archaeology is, is, is about, but also theoretically informed. And, and the other thing is that uh, is this, uh, this separation sometimes that exists between the humanities and the science approach. And I think we are very well known for our I- integrated approach. Uh, more personally, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, when I started in Sheffield in 2004, I had a dream that I wanted to put together a research team and a research lab which would be characterized by openness, transparency, mutual collaboration, mutual aid, and in which students and staff would work together. And uh, I think uh, my dream came true. In the course of the years, I managed to create that kind of team. And it's a matter for me personally of immense sadness that the work done in these years is going to be destroyed. And I, my sadness is especially for the young, those young people, the young researchers, people like you guys, who really believed in that project, and they still believe in that project, and that they are absolutely outraged by the current situation. That leads to my next question, which would be for you, uh, Helen. You're, you said this was the only place you applied, and you went there for your, you know, PhD, and now it's getting closed. Like, what is the opinion of, like, obviously it's devastating outwardly looking at it for you and, like, your colleagues, um, especially following what Umberto just said? Yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking in lots of ways. It's not the PhD I signed up for in lots of ways. I want the community, Mm -hmm. I want the department, I want the feel of everything, and even if legally they have to keep it open for a certain number of years, whatever they have to do with the closure legally, undoubtedly it'll change almost right away. You know, there'll be no PhD students coming in behind me. So by the time I'm finishing up, by the time I'm writing up my PhD and kind of the worst part of it, there'll be no cohort around me. There'll just be the four or five of us who started now. Um, And I mean, PhDs can be isolated at the best of times. So then you're losing all the support as well and all the cohort and everything else. So yeah, I feel quite a bit, almost like I've been broken up with by the university, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tough to take, I think. When you go to grad school, you start with a few people in your, like your graduating class, I would call it. And that's your cohort, which is what we were just talking about. And in a sense, they're like your battle buddies because you're in the trenches with them, literally going through all these really hard classes and working together and hanging out with each other outside of school. And like, that's the, that's a big part of grad school. That's your network later on that helps you get 
jobs and find and do research projects later on. And like to lose that is obviously a detriment. So I'm sorry to hear that, Helen, that, you know, that's not fun. And what has the reaction been in the UK to the closing of Sheffield's archaeology department? Have you guys seen support from other archaeology departments across the country? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I must say, uh, as a colleague uh, of mine from Cardiff said to me in an email, he said, I have never seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> I mean, the, the kind of reaction and uh, disbelief and support and solidarity we have received has been amazing. But it hasn't been just the UK, it's been from all over the world. And what has been interesting for me is that uh, this reaction has come from really literally all over the world, from Japan to China to Australia, Canada, America, Brazil, Argentina, you name it, from everywhere. Every, nobody could believe that. Then it has happened nationally. But also what is interesting is also the city and the, the local communities have responded to this because we work a lot with local people too because we like to be embedded in the community in which we are. So I think the... The fact that the response has happened at so many different scales, it has been really good to see. And uh, I mean, just to give you an idea, the University Executive Board received about 2,000 letters or complaints from organizations, individuals, museums, institutions, you name it. It's just unbelievable. And remember, this has happened in a very short time. Yeah, I know the Archaeology Podcast Network, which is the network that hosts our podcast, signed one of, sent in a letter itself, upset with, with the closing. And we talked earlier that you guys only had like six days to respond to their decision. And in that time, you guys were able to garner 34,000 signatures <laughs> on a petition to save the department, yeah. which is like, I think there's only like... 12,000 something professional archaeologists in the States, if, if I'm not mistaken, or at least that show up to the Society of American Archaeologists, uh, Society for American Archaeology. So that's a lot of people within less than a week to show support for your department. Yeah, it was unbelievable, I have to say. Uh, obviously, it's very clear that many people uh, from outside archaeology signed uh, the petition. There, there aren't just enough archaeologists in the world. I mean, now we are on well over 40,000, because I think also people from other disciplines, or just people who have a general sensitivity for the problem felt, oh, this, is, this doesn't sound right, you know, and then they wanted, uh, they wanted to have that name on the petition. Yes, it has been unbelievable. But I have to say one of the, some of the people I really have to acknowledge is the students, because when this happened, I mean, it's very sad for the students. I mean, they're not losing their jobs. We are. But they have been so incredibly behind us and supportive of the, the department and so articulate, so just passionate. Uh, wow. I, I think that has been for me amazing, absolutely amazing to see. And uh, they have put to shame that the university central administration with their morality and integrity and willingness to do something good. Yeah, unbelievable to see. So what did you guys ultimately get done in those six days? What were you able to produce besides um, the 34,000 signatures and the, the 2,000 letters? And those are the two main things we focused on in those initial six days. We also organized a rally, which we hosted on the day that the vote was happening and had a bunch of, we actually had, it was great. We had an undergrad student give a speech. We had a master's student, a PhD student, a technical member of staff. Umberto gave a speech. We had a huge range of people participating. Um, we had people there from other departments supporting us in the rally, which was really great. So we got that organized in those six days, and we really put a lot of emphasis on sending in those letters of support. So I think every single student emailed just about every single connection they ever had with within archaeology, and every staff member did the same as well. So that was our main focus then. And then since then, we're now trying to just really get it out even further and and talk about it on mm -hmm. different media platforms. And we're now pursuing a more kind of, I guess, legal route with our student union reps as well, with a, some doubts and the lack of transparency and stuff in the process that we're trying to see where that takes us next. 
And uh, Umberto, you talked about, you know, you, if ultimately the faculty in the department are going to lose their jobs. So what's what's that going to mean for the ongoing research being conducted by Sheffield archaeologists and staff? Well, that is a good question. And I think I can only say to you that I don't know, because I think we love to see how things are going to develop. But certainly a lot of research is under threat at the moment, you know, because uh, obviously if we lose our jobs, many of us will try to remain in the field. But uh, clearly we will become for a while much more preoccupied with um, with, uh, with securing another position rather than carry on with other research. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think our research in one way or in, in another, I think will continue. But I, I just feel that this is uh, such a loss for the university, it's, it's such a loss for the city, and uh, such a loss for the country, and such a loss for the international community. So I, I just... Uh, feel that this is a decision that is really harmful for my university. And my university was born to serve its community. And I really don't think this decision is uh, is in line with this principle. So, I mean, obviously there is concern, but, uh, you know, it's very difficult to see how things are going to develop. But uh, there is certainly a big threat hanging over our heads and uh, hanging over the head of our research. But it doesn't seem like you guys are consigned to that fate or or or, or married to that, that that's going to happen and are interested in exploring these legal routes and, and whatever route possible going further. And I'm uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm glad that you guys are, are, are fighting that fight. And We'll fight to the bitter end. We say this from the beginning and we are determined to do so. And we'll do it regardless of the final decision because you have to fight because of a sense of just because you have a sense of justice. It's not you fight for winning or losing, because if nobody fights, the world will never change. Look at the all the big um, conquests of humanity in the past. Did they happen straight away? No, they didn't. Many times there were many losses in the way, many disappointments, uh, but uh, if people had given up fighting, we would have never got there. We probably would still have slaves and we wouldn't have uh, women's rights and all that. It wasn't an easy ride. And, uh, you know, obviously, us is a very small fight in comparison to these big fights. But I think in terms of the principle, it's the same. Yeah, and I think uh, on that note, we're, we'll end this, this segment. I think we'll start the next segment by talking about, you know, what this means for archaeology in general and going forward. So, yeah, this is episode 60 of a Life in Ruins podcast. Uh, that was the end of segment two, and we'll catch you in segment three. Welcome back to episode 60 of a Life in Ruins podcast. This is segment three. In segment one and two, we have talked about um, the closing of the Sheffield Archaeology Department, highlighted some opinions about that and the history of Sheffield. And we really wanted to focus in, in this last segment, into the, the review process. And Helen, you had mentioned that you might have had some strong opinions about exactly how the review process happened and how long it took, and etc. Yeah. So I personally wasn't involved in the review meetings themselves because all students didn't have the opportunity to be involved for various reasons. But I've been in contact with pretty much everyone that was involved and gotten a range of opinions. Yeah, so essentially, uh, I want to clarify first, the department did their best to tell us what was going on with the knowledge that they had, which I think is really important to say, because they tried to keep us in the loop to the best of their ability, but they also weren't given all the information. So I think it was really on the university to, to have told us what was going on. I've been going through, they sent us a link to their student protection plan, from which was written in 2018, and it lists five basic commitments to students. And number one on the list is to be open and transparent if any risk to your studies arises. So we've been going through each of the numbers on the list, and they've, in my opinion, they've failed on four out of five of them. So we're compiling evidence for how they've failed on each of those issues. But the, the biggest one, being open and transparent, for these student meetings, the students that were invited weren't given an agenda for the meeting, and they weren't told what the meeting was for. So 
students received a, an invite to a Google meeting basically with the deputy vice chancellor. And they, they weren't told why they were meant to attend and they were told at relatively short notice. So some students had class or labs and they couldn't, they couldn't go for various reasons. Students weren't asked when they'd be available to attend, that kind of thing. And then to, to kind of make it even more not okay, when they were on the meeting, they asked directly, why are we here and what is this for? And I think the direct quote that I've heard is that it was something the university does all the time for the development of the department or to make sure that the university is best serving the department. I think the, the word review was used once, but it was always framed in this almost positive way of we're here to help out and we just want to hear about your experiences. And we have an, we have an academic rep system where we have a representative for each year. Um, and not all reps were included, despite the fact that we've all had training on how to you know, acquire feedback from our peers and take all that on board. And the reps that were there were told to talk about their personal experiences and not to actually provide feedback for the whole department as a whole. So, yeah, the students who were part of that were, were quite shocked when they were then told that the department might close on the back of that meeting. That seems sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that seems like an extraordinarily sketchy process to invite graduate students in without really telling them what the meeting was about. How how did these students' experiences like kind of get used to close the department? What was the purpose of this, really? Yeah, so they, they included a range of students. There was undergrads and graduate students involved, and everyone that I've spoken to basically said they felt like their opinions weren't taken on board and that their experiences were almost as if talking to a wall. And, and it felt much more tokenistic, like a box-taking exercise which is kind of evident in every every media outlet that we've pursued, every article that's been published. If they've reached out to the university for a quote, the quote is, "Well, we reviewed, but we reviewed this process with students. Like we consulted students in the process. It's the first line they give, so it, it, it just feels a bit like they checked the box, but they didn't actually take the feedback on board. I, I don't know a single person that said something negative about the department in those meetings. And it was exactly the same experience for staff. If you, you don't mind me stepping in, there was never a sense that we were engaging in a conversation. And But it's not just a question of our right to have our say, but I think if, uh, if uh, you don't consult the people who are on the front line who are really doing the job and try to understand what the job is about, to be honest with you, you are just a very incompetent manager. And I have to say uh, and emphasize that our problem is on the way the process has been led. And our problem is not with the University of Sheffield. We love the University of Sheffield. Our problem is with the central management of the University of Sheffield because this, this is not the way to conduct a review without. It was clear from the, it was very clear for a long time that uh, they had their own mind, they had their agenda, they wanted to pursue it, and all the rest was just a way to go through the motions. And as Helen said, they were just ticking boxes. And we, we want to mention that to our our listeners, that just, just to be aware of something like this, I mean, I think... You know, I don't think... There's, there's obviously a lot of shutting down of departments in in the U.S. and U.K. in general as, as people become... Uh, get on hard times financially, et cetera. I think these, this, this story is something important to tell, you know, a wider world that, that this is happening and it might happen unexpectedly and you might not get due process or they might just check these boxes crappily. I mean, I'm going to say it, you like not, not very well and not really um, being transparent about it. So we just want to let, let people know that this, this happens in the world and, um, we're we're sad to hear that it's happening specifically to your department, but we hope that it raises awareness to the to the larger larger public in general. And and why not like geology or, or you know an anatomy or a biology department or something? You know, um, biology is probably a larger department, but why was archaeology like targeted specifically here? Well, it's difficult uh, to say. I mean, it's I think it's a combination of factors. So some could be just pure chance, and uh, some could be could have something to do with a general crisis of archaeology, which is has nothing to do with what we do. 
okay? It's nothing to do with the, the interest for the field, which is still very, very high, but uh, it's related to the fact that uh, in countries like Britain and in, the, in your country, in the U.S., it's the same. Education is very, very expensive. Unfortunately, well, in a way, fortunately or unfortunately, many students choose archaeology because they have a passion for the field. They don't choose archaeology because they think it's a good way to make money. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and as a consequence, you know, very high fee education is going to affect in particular fields like this which are chosen because people really wanted to do them because they have a passion for that. And so we have been suffering because of that since the fees became very, very high a few years ago. And also why this is happening in Sheffield and why this is not happening, let's say, in Oxford or Cambridge or some of the other. Uh, universities where posh people go. I think one of the reasons is because, uh, and I'm very proud of that, uh, the University of Sheffield is traditionally a university that serves the community and that serves also the working class. As a consequence, uh, you know, many people are not particularly well off and will be a little bit reluctant to spend so much time for their education or the parents to spend so much time for their children to be educated for a field that they're just doing it for passion rather than making money. But of course, if you are wealthy and you come from a privileged background, you don't have that problem. So I hope you can see what I'm getting at and what is the political plan behind all this that affects not just archaeology, but the whole of humanities. It's the creation of a two-tier society where something is uh, available uh, to certain people but not to others, and the others are just uh, going to choose the subjects that are useful to tier one people. I have said it before in meetings that I regard the attack towards humanities that is happening all over the world as an attack to the working class. Uh, because it's basically one way to say these subjects are only the privilege of the people who can afford them. And that is a very sad and very dangerous situation which to be for us as a, as a world society. Yeah, that's that's heavy. Is there also, like we've seen both in the United States and the United Kingdom, a very large resurgence of white nationalism. And archaeology is one of those disciplines that is predisposed to delegitimizing some of these white nationalist talking points and some of their, you know, beliefs as to how white people are and how superior they are. And could, I don't know much about specifically what's going on in the United Kingdom, but is it also possible that the Sheffield archaeology department is part of even this, as, as you call it, this attack on the working class is also kind of being pulled pulled by some individuals who are trying to kind of get rid of archaeology and um, from a white nationalist perspective? I think there is some truth in what you say, but I think it's a bit more general and a bit more complicated than that. I think archaeology is one of those fields that make us reflect on who we are as humans. Okay, I perceive archaeology as one of the most powerful disciplines in understanding humanity. Okay, if you try to understand humanity, you put petty and despicable things like racism into perspective. Okay, and so I think that there is an attack on everything that um, basically makes us think. Okay, and make us think deep about the, the significance of being human and what it means to be cooperative and what it means to live peacefully with others. I wouldn't say that there is a big brother there with a plan and say, oh, we are going to get rid of this and that. 
but uh, there is a general overall perception, as, as you correctly said, that there is a feeling about uh, the world in which we are now, in which uh, some of the things that uh, maybe a couple, two or three decades ago, when I was younger, we were taking for granted, for granted mutual respect, the fact that we had to live together peacefully, that we had to respect other people, that now are being questioned. And I think the attack on some academic disciplines is directly or indirectly related to this kind of worsening of our values, I should say. That makes sense, because anthropology, I guess, is Sheffield a strictly archaeology department or is it anthropology as well? No, it's just archaeology. But anthropology would be more or less in the same category. Yeah. Sure. And yeah, it, you're right. It makes us think about, you know, think critically about humans as a species and like, you know, look introspectively. And a lot of people don't want that kind of thought. Yeah. yeah. I think those are excellent points, Humberto, that's really making me think. David and I are not in PhD programs, you know. At the moment, I probably won't ever be. David might be at some point. But Helen and Carlton, as PhD students, as folks that will have, you know, be looking in the job market at some point, what is your kind of uh, feelings about where archaeology is going in general and some of these issues that we've kind of highlighted? Um, That's that's a really good question, because in the email that we got from the deputy vice chancellor informing us of their decision, She cited a decline in the interest in archaeology nationally as one of their reasons. And it's factually incorrect. In the UK, there's a huge skills shortage for for archaeologists. The government's highlighted it as an area that we need more jobs in, etc. But also to be told that the thing you're pursuing as a career and and as a degree is... People aren't interested in it anymore. You're still going to get your degree, but, but people aren't interested. That was quite difficult to be, to be told that yeah it was insulting especially because it's also just not true so I think for me I, I've never been worried about going into a career in archaeology I've always kind of thought I, I'm quite lucky to come from from a background where I, I do feel like I am privileged and I I feel like I could have pursued something I was passionate about but I've never been worried about it I've, I've always been excited about the idea of going into either academia for it or going into commercial archaeology or working in consultancy and even working in museum work, I kind of feel like there's lots of options for me there. This particular department situation has made me more worried because I'm not going to get as many teaching opportunities, etc. If courses are closed down, and I'm a little bit worried now about how that will affect my employability after because it is a competitive field. But I've never really been worried before, so I, I just think they're they're making uninformed decisions. Yeah. Guys, don't give up on archaeology. It's a fantastic field. Yeah. We we need other people working in archaeology. If you give up, they win. You know, yeah. it's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's uh, and, you know, many of us got to positions in academia through lots and lots of problems. Uh, you know, and life is not easy. But uh, you know, archaeology is much bigger than these gray and rather narrow-minded people who actually dictate how things operate in, in, in the world. Is is there an open source petition that uh, we could have our listeners like sign or anything like that or where we could steer them? Yeah, there's a um, Save Sheffield Archaeology Google site that has all the information on it. So if you just search Save Sheffield Archaeology, it's one of the first things that comes up and the change.org petition. So that'll just come up on a Google search, but it is also in the in the State Archaeology website. And that also has information on how to write letters to the executive board. If anyone wants to write any more letters of support, we're still sending them in. Okay. And you'll be able to find that stuff in our show notes and show descriptions. So we'll have all that linked. So for our listeners who are interested, pull up your phones, laptops, and start doing clicking some some hyperlinks. And anybody who has a solid platform that's listening to, like maybe consider doing something about that as well. I'm going to do something with my page for sure. Uh, This is really, it's unfortunate stuff. And it's, you know, the harsh reality of, I think you guys hammered it pretty well. Like we, we joined this field because we're passionate about it, not because we're going to make money at it. And like, that's rare, I think, especially in the, the States here. So I imagine over there as well. So it's just, yeah, we want kids and, you know, adults to go into anthropology and archaeology because they want to and, not because they have to do engineering or something, you know? So, um, yeah. And, and, and going forward, you know, we hope 
uh, wish you guys all the best and we're definitely in support of keeping this department. So we're, we're hoping for good things uh, in the future for this for this department. And we want to thank you, you know, just just for coming on and speaking about this. You know, I think since we're winding down at this at this moment, if you guys don't mind giving some sort of some contact information where folks can talk to you about this, that would that would be great. Yeah, Helen, let's start with you. Where can uh, our listeners reach out to you? You can find me on Instagram. It's underscore Helen Thompson. That's, that's one of the easiest. I think uh, I don't remember the exact Twitter handle. I do have Twitter as well, which you can put in your show information. And then my email address is hfthompson2 at sheffield.ac.uk. And I'm happy to talk to anyone about it anytime. And, Excellent. Uh, if, and what about you, Umberto? Yeah. Well, if uh, well, people have uh, you know, if they just search for my name, you will find all my details. We are also very active on social media, as Helen said. If you use the hashtag Save Sheffield Archaeology, and you will find plenty of information and links and all that. And uh, so, please do get in touch. You know, we we love to hear from people. Uh, you. People from all over the world have really fed our battle. You know, they have motivated us incredibly. It has been great to see and has shown how vibrant archaeology is, despite what our vice chancellor says. He, he seems to be stuck in his own office while we look at the world. And uh, so, and please carry on signing our petition again. And you will find it very easily just by Googling it. And we want to go to get to 50,000 signatures. We are. So please, please carry on helping us with that. And thank you guys for having us here. It has been really a great privilege to talk to you. Thank yeah, you so I, much. Of course. Uh, we're happy to have you on here. I, I didn't know much about this before we started talking. So this has been eye opening. And yeah, I'll be sure to make sure we spread the word and make sure this episode gets out where it needs to go. Absolutely. So uh, with that, everyone, we just interviewed uh, Dr. Umberto Alborella and Helen Thompson. Um, you'll be able to find both of their contact information in the show notes below, as well as the Google Doc petition. Please sign it. Let's get to 50K. Um, and let's see if we can save this Save Sheffield. Hashtag Save Sheffield Archaeology. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, there's a little rate and review area. If you want to leave a comment on the Instagram, that'd be great too. But it really helps us if you comment on the platforms in which you're listening. And with that, we are out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast, and you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.